Hello, my name is Nico Fuentes and I will be having a conversation with Heron for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is December 21st, 2019, and this is being recorded at Heron's apartment. Hi. Hey. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> How's the um, past week for you been? Um, the past week has uh, been interesting. I started it in um, New Orleans. Um, I flew to New Orleans Sunday night to see a friend of mine who um, we used to date years ago when we were like different genders, but now um, they had just gotten FFS um, three weeks ago. Um, so theoretically I was there to take care of them, but they're fine. So I kind of just went to New Orleans and had to keep telling them that we were going out of the house or going to Bourbon Street or like just doing something like touristy because they're just like living their normal life. Um, uh, then on Wednesday night, I was stuck at um, first the Virginia airport because there was a snow squall in New York that I totally missed, um, but I still wasn't able to fly into Newark for it. Then stuck at the Newark, Newark airport for about four hours or five hours. I don't know. I didn't leave there until 4.30. I was supposed to be home by like, I think 1 a.m. Didn't get home until 6.45. Normally wake up at 7 a.m. for my job. So I slacked my bosses just to say like, hey, so I can't work today. And then went to sleep when I normally wake up. Um, and then had one day of work today. Yeah. Where do you work? Yeah. Um, I work at Vice Media. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on their uh, life desk, um, which, what is life? Life is um, many things. I think they're still kind of working it out. Um, but it's sort of like a lot of it's focused on health, healthcare, um, sort of like service content around like kind of almost like narrative how-to guides or like reported narrative um, uh, life hack kind of adjacent content, um, which um, has been an adjustment for me because um, whoever's listening to this can't see, but I've lived in my apartment for about two months. I still have boxes in the living room. I... um, So it's a lot of like, okay, what are the things I do actually know or can figure out or can dispense his advice to someone because I'm not about to tell them how to make like um a beautiful living room or um <laughs> I don't know a, a delicious dinner for eight or something mm-hmm. um I've been working there for um three months uh as one of the senior staff writers on that desk um I, um, it's been kind of an adjustment from, um, the last place I was working, which was Out Magazine, um, where I was a staff writer, um, where with, with that team, it was about 15, we, we kept like losing people throughout the year, um, Mm -hmm. for reasons I can get into later, but, um, I did not sign an NDA, so I can get into that later if you want, but, um. Uh, the entire team was like queer people and, and trans people. There were two other, or no, yeah, there were 
two other trans women, five like trans femmes total mm-hmm. of any gender, and um, like one of whom, Raquel Willis, was like my boss, and I got to work with her on a number of my um, stories that I was like the proudest of. And I think I kind of just that became very normal in a way that like um, the idea that I could be in a room with uh, only trans feminine people is just normal at this point. It's not mm. like, um, uh, it's not notable and it's not even like, um, cause I feel like at first, like the first time I remember hanging out with two trans women at once, um, that was, um, I remember being excited about that. Um, first like hanging out with one other trans woman and then like two. So three of us total, it just felt like very, um, exciting and, and activating. And then, like, um, the first time I knew I was going to a trans poker um, game at um, my friend Tori's house, I was terrified just because it was, it was like, okay, I know there's going to be, like, 15 trans people there, and I've never done that before. And it's just this assumption that, like, people will not welcome you into a space or that, like, everyone is waiting for you to fuck up or, like, that you can fuck up in that kind of space, which, I mean, you can, but, like... <laughs> Not through just, like, like being stupid or something. Well, no. Yes, you can. I don't know. Whatever. But, like, it's not not, not because, like, you, you aren't, like, cool enough or something. Yeah. You're all a bunch of, like, gender weirdos in someone's world. So, like, usually that's not the energy people are coming with at something like that. Um, but I, I think I just got very um, used to that in, like, a media workspace. Um, of just having like an all queer space and like uh, many trans feminine people around me and above me and um, editing my work um, people I didn't who, who actually um, wouldn't encourage me to explain things in my work in fact like in an earlier early story um, about how uh, medical institutions push trans women out of their care into less supervised settings through like gatekeeping and co- like the cost of procedures actually push people into like say hormone black markets or getting um, like silicone injections um, in potentially unsafe settings. Um, I remember there was like two paragraphs that I had in the original draft I turned into Raquel where I was explaining like here's what hormones do to you and like here are different surgeries that like trans women get. And then even maybe something about trans men who had nothing to do with the story. And she was just like, you don't have to do any of this. Just like write it for, write, like write it for, write it for us, write it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. I didn't have to do explanatory commas, which I learned from this podcast, um, code switch, NPR code switch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I learned that, that term about like, um, basically pausing, putting a comment in, and then unpacking like an in-group, a, a pretty well-known in-group term, because there's an assumption that your reader is like from an, like the out-group. Um, so basically like writing for a reader, say if you're trans, writing about trans people for a cis reader, or writing about black people for like a white reader or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, anyway, Vice is not that kind of environment. There are three trans women total in our newsroom. Um, None of us, we're all on dif- different desks. Janice Rose is on our tech desk and um, Diana Torje is um, on the issues desk. Um, and also sort of just writing features. Um, 
uh, I almost want to say just almost on like the Diana desk. Like she's, she's sort of, um, a features writer at this point. Um, and so we don't like work directly together. We obviously sit near each other and can talk to each other and commiserate about anything, but, um, it's definitely been an adjustment to write for like, um, be, be part of like a cis women news team, basically. Especially one that's based around life and lifestyle, and um, it's not something I've figured out yet, but I am feeling a little bit caught between how do I, um, how do I write from my own perspective um, and draw from my own life's experiences in the same way that is welcomed on our desk, um, but in a way that doesn't feel... Um, I guess, ex ex exploitative of that, either myself or, like, the communities I, like, come from. Um, because I'm still, like, making, I'm making, like, money from this. Mm -hmm. um, and so oftentimes I sidestep that problem entirely and then just kind of have this almost, like, parody hyper version of a persona that I'm writing from who, like, maybe, like, straight drag or something... Which also isn't like, it's not an authentic moment and it's like, um, there's limits to it and it's not always like a joy to that. Like it might be like a joy to write from that perspective. And then once I get edits back and actually have to like take it seriously, then I'm like, wait, I don't even, I don't feel committed to this. I don't know why I wrote it this way. I don't believe any of this. What's going on? Um, so I kind of haven't, haven't really figured out how to do that. And I think also, um, Lately, I've started to wonder if I also have, like, trust issues with um, editors who aren't trans women who want me to write about trans women. Why? Um, because I, I, I just don't know what their motivation is. Mm. And I think working it out, I understood everyone's motivation. Mm. In general, it was that um, this is... Uh, can I do math? Like, 30-ish... 25, 30-ish year LGBT publication um, that has, like, that legacy. Um, so everyone there is invested in the idea of journalism by LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. um, and specifically with that team, I understood that they were interested in, like, journalism about and by, like, trans feminine people beyond just it being... Um, I guess SEO friendly or, um, SEO. Oh, SEO, sorry. Um, search engine optimization mm. friendly. So, um, uh, I guess that it was, it was trendy or, um, everyone's talking about trans women. We got it. What's our trans story or something. When um, did that start? I started, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen stories about... I, I feel like a lot of the... Hmm. I don't know if I would be the... A def, I don't think I'm a definitive source on this by any means, but um, since I, I didn't start um, working like as a blogger until like 2013 um, in like a professional kind of way, and then as like a reporter, not till maybe 2014, 2015. 
Um, but like from my observations, cause I know there's like, I've seen like articles by like Samantha Allen has been, um, she's a trans woman and a reporter, um, who like, I've seen her writing about trans day of remembrance as far back as like 2012 or 2013 in a way that I think you could almost see someone like you could imagine reading the same thing in 2019 mm-hmm. where it's like a narrative that has since become like the go-to for like, I don't know, bustle.com decides to write about trans day of remembrance for no reason. Nobody asked them to. Um, and it's kind of just parodying the same talking points that people were hitting in a way that seemed much more like connected to maybe organizing groups like the anti-violence project or Audrey Lord project or the different, um, trans and often like trans women of color led organizing groups that were like trying to affect that kind of media change is my perception on it. I still like, I don't think this is necessarily like totally historically factual, but that's, that's definitely my perception and definitely in like the 2014 to 2016 years. Um, I remember there being a lot of, um, gay men in media, um, gay men or queer men and, um, very occasionally like a, a trans woman, um, reporting on trans issues often like that's sort of when I first started seeing like the, the narrative around like violence against trans women Mm -hmm. breaking through and becoming a legible media mainstream media narrative. Yeah. Where Um, were you seeing that? Uh, so the people I'm thinking of, there's like, um, like Matthew Rodriguez at Mike.com was uh, frequently on that beat. Um, I was doing it when I was at Fusion. Um, what year? Um, 2015, 16. And this is not like in a, like, like, like I was doing it kind of way. It was like I was um, trying to, at the place I was working, make sure that these narratives were then also being reported on further beyond, um, say if, if like activists I was following on Twitter or something or like AVP or, um, AVP. Oh, anti-violence project. Um, which I think Lala Zanel was still there at the time. Mm -hmm. I think she just left to join the ACLU, Mm -hmm. um, American civil liberties union. Um, I remember Diana Torger was also reporting on that too. Not like, I don't think anyone who actually worked on staff was like a black or brown trans woman who was reporting on any of this. Um, So there was also that, like there was an element of like someone who's LGBTQ is reporting on it oftentimes in the most sort of stable and like resourced, um, kind of way like if you have an in-house beat reporter who's on like the trans beat um usually white usually cis often some kind of lgbtq but usually not like a trans woman of color who was like then um sort of in charge of like shaping this narrative in a long-term way maybe would be hired freelance or something Mm what was the narrative before that then? I don't remember. Mm. Um, I don't know if there, I mean, I'm obviously I'm sure there was, but, um, I, I just only really remember taking note, I think 2014, 2015 mm-hmm. onward. 
Um, and so that was the beginning of um, when I started to notice an emphasis on um, there were um, like 35 trans women were killed in 2015, mm-hmm. um, which now has just, I think, been really decontextualized and misunderstood in a way by, sorry, not to keep, keep going in on bustle.com, but like um, I hate Brian Goldberg, its founder, so I'm going to go in on him. Um, he's a union busting asshole, um, who's just trying to take over all of media. Um, he, his website, sorry. Um, now you have like on January 7th, um, of the new year, if there's a news of a trans woman who has been killed, the headline is like a go-to like XYZ person becomes the first trans woman killed in 2019, Mm. which just is written with like an implied, like the first of many or like the second or the third. And there's, there's, um, I mean, there's like a, a really dark connection with, um, the way, the other way that we're often written about, which is an emphasis on our firsts. Mm. Um, and like what this historian Morgan M. Page has called like the novelty of transness, where we're always kind of like just arriving anytime we're covered it's like the first trans woman to it's like sarah mcbride the first trans woman to give a speech at a major political party's convention or something which is like sure like uh like daniela vega first trans woman to ever present at the oscars it's like i'd rather celebrate when she gets nominated i'd rather be celebrating when she gets like she wins or something like I don't know, I'm the first trans woman to offer you bagel <laughs> chips before an interview for the Trans Oral History Project. But there's that, like, really, um, 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 the, like, violent flip side of that is this um, emphasis on, like, the, the first trans woman murder this year, mm. um, which just also is written in a way that expects more to come and isn't actually interested in it, in it as, like, a narrative beyond just... Um, ah, this is the narrative we do for this and it's uh, violent and it, it's continuing and I don't see any like investment or um, interrogation or even just like any effort being brought to it. It's um, like the failures of the cis imagination strike again and, and serve us really poor narratives about ourselves for um, their own readership and financial benefit. In this case, like page views or clicks or time spent on page that they can take to advertisers, um, to sell ad space. Um, when I was, um, working at Fusion in 2015 and 2016, um, which at the time was, it started as a, as I'd say on the phone to people, it's like, cause no one knew what the fuck Fusion was. I still don't think a lot of people do, but it was like, it's a joint venture between ABC Disney and Univision. And then ABC Disney dropped out, dropped out and Univision had taken over. And then like a week after, or no, a couple months after I left, um, to go freelance and be a girl, um, Univision sold it to, no, Univision bought Gizmodo Media Group, which was broken up by Peter Thiel's, um, billionaire funded efforts with Hulk Hogan to take down Gawker, which he did. Um, so they bought Gizmodo Media Group, they rebranded Fusion to Splinter, and then, like, sold everything to this e-commerce company called Great Hill Partners, um, in 2019, and, and now they shut down Splinter, which was a politics site by the end of it, 
a year before the election, often a left-leaning politics site. Um, I just think it's like a, a good encapsulation of like private equity and media and um, how there's like the people who control everything and media just actually don't care about the thing that they control or the people who are working mm-hmm. there. When I was at Fusion, <laughs> sorry, when I was at Fusion, um, I do remember, I kind of, I, I joke about it, so I wasn't, um, I, I was still a boy when I was working there and um, I didn't even, I mean, I had some sense of like gender trouble, but like was like, and didn't have the sentient thought that I was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back at a lot of my work there and it's like almost embarrassingly funny to me that like, like, my, my framing in my head was like, oh, I'm like a gay man, so I have to use my platform um, as like an ally to trans women. I just am really interested in interviewing like um, Eve Lindley about playing Sylvia Rivera in like Tourmaline and Sasha Wurzel's Happy Birthday, Marsha. Or like, I just really want to interview like um, Maya Taylor about um, Tangerine and what's next and like, you know, make sure that like the, the narrative, she gets a media narrative beyond just this one movie and like, but that's just because like I'm an ally, like that's my investment, that's it. I just really want to report on the estrogen shortage because it's important. <laughs> like, um, or just there are so many inter- interviews with trans actresses that I did <laughs> and um, was like very... Um, I just remember like consciously thinking like, 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 or like asking in interviews, like, um, like, and are there, do you want me to say that you're trans in the headline? Like, how are you like, just thinking about things like that. Um, and trying to not just like trying to correct mistakes that I felt were not serving the people I was interviewing in the rest of media, which was like this trans actress, like, fell down the stairs or something like just this focus on like this trans actress and it's like she has a name you could use it you're interviewing her so obviously like you think she's worthy of coverage um but none of that ever clicked for me like why i was so like concerned about like trans women's media representation or anything um i just had my own rationalizations um i did end up um, leaving Fusion in 2016, coincidentally the same week as the election, uh, presidential election that year, like three days later. Um, and also coincidentally four days before like my entire desk and like a third of the company was laid off, Mm. um, which obviously isn't good, but I do remember thinking like, fuck, I would have gotten severance if I'd just like Instead of like had to go my own way, um, but um, I, I I didn't know that I was doing that in order to like transition mm. that consciously or with that clear of an intention. But I do remember thinking that like there were things I was exploring or like like growing my hair out or changing how I'm dressing or just like embodying myself differently that I knew I couldn't do there but it was never as clearly focused as like i am a transgender woman or something Mm. until it suddenly like that clicked in like early 2017 and then it was just like clear as day Mm. and um began asking audaciously asking for immediate she her pronouns for my friends 
um, 24 hours later. Um, Going back to something you mentioned um, briefly was that you started off by blogging. Mm-hmm. What were you blogging about in what years? Um, so all through, like all through like middle school and high school, I like had, I think Live Journal was mm-hmm. like the first like social media. I guess Neopets was there, but like, and like Gaia Online, but which is actually the first website I met a boy through <laughs> off the internet. Wow. Yeah, very awkward date in 2003. He worked at the high school in the summer, and, like, I, like, we went to go meet up. I was, like, 14, I think. Yeah, 14. I walked, like, three miles to the high school in my town, and then, like, we just sat side by side, and I ate a sandwich, and, like, nobody talked, and, like, then I just went home. (laughs) Um, Gaia online. (laughs) I don't know how. Can you explain just very quickly Gaia Um, online? Gaia online was a website where you... It was similar to Neopets, if that's a more familiar reference point to whoever's listening. But um, you had an avatar who was kind of like an anime sprite, and um, you could dress them up with like you would like I think do mini games and just like to earn coins, and then like even just pass the time and earn coins. It was all just one of those like coin collecting, and then you spend it on outfits or like. Um, like accoutrements for your character. Very familiar. Yeah, and like, or you could go to like, there's like the forum and like talk to people as your characters. And I don't know how I like met someone who was also from like Holden, Massachusetts, but somehow it happened. Wow. Yeah. And we didn't fall in love. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> and he's my husband to this day. <laughs> Come on out, Pete. So Live Journal. Yeah, so oh so Live Journal, I think in eighth grade I started using it and it was just like for the like five years that I was using it until the end of high school. No, until like college started. Um it was mostly just like me and like ten to twenty people I knew from school. Um, or maybe it even just started with like less than ten of us. Um Basically just blogging for each other because the way Live Journal I remember was set up was um it was it was sort of similar. It was similar to Tumblr. It's like you had your own live journal, your own blog, and then which you would generally like post text in it. Um YouTube didn't exist yet, so it was like two thousand three, I think, when this started. So I was just thinking like I'm I'm sure there was a way to like embed like a WMV file or something, but it wasn't really like you were sharing songs or videos you were sharing um like song lyrics if you Mm. wanted to post a song or like you had um you could write what your mood was and what your song you were listening to was Mm. um but mostly it was just um blogging about your day or like sometimes um I'd be getting into fights with my friends and like these really really passive aggressive like writing basically a second person letter about someone from school who I knew followed me, mm. knowing they would read it. And then in the comments, he would like, um, he was like, is this about me? And I was like, no, narcissist much or something like that. Just like <laughs> horrible, like conflict, irresolution, like no people skills. Um, 
And then, like, I don't know, two months later, I guess we all got over it after we, like, unfollowed or unfriended each other and then finally friended each other again. Um, what happened? Wait, Live Journal, Live Journal. Oh, I came out on Live Journal as gay in, like, 2003. Wow. Yeah. How was, was that received? Um, positively i mean it was just like it was like eight people i knew who were directly reading it and then like five like goth girls from around north america or something who like i met through like different live journal groups and then like i joined like there was like a some like lgbt groups um and stuff that i was like the communities mm-hmm. um generally fine i think um and then i remember people from school like it was sort of like i put it out there i didn't like there was no like school like facebook wasn't a thing myspace wasn't a thing yet or at least it wasn't like with anyone i knew if it was there so it wasn't like there was like a broadcasting to like the whole school but it was like i think i understood that it was out there um Oh yeah, AIM was sort of also like another sort of like AIM and Facebook together, or sorry, AIM and Live Journal together was sort of disseminating information in the summertime mm-hmm. um, when you weren't all in school together. Um, I think it was as, as well received as it could have been. Um, like I mostly just hung out with like this, um, what's it called? Like kind of multi-circle Venn diagram of like, like the theater kids and the art kids and the stoners and like the goth kids and the kids who hung out at like the coffee shop after school kind of contingent at school. Mm -hmm. And um, so I didn't have to often, like I didn't often spend a lot of like time with, I guess a lot of the kids. I mean, there was like definitely like negative incidences and stuff or just like people being assholes, but um and one teacher who like um on day of silence is that a thing people still do or did it was um this thing that like the gay straight alliance at my school would do um every year i think in april or march where it's actually like a really ineffective like form of protest but it was like a whole day where to to protest um i guess the uh whatever not to knock like or we didn't make it up or anything, but it was, like, not to knock, like, the efforts of teenagers, gay teenagers in, like, mm-hmm. the post-Matthew Shepard years. But, like, mm-hmm. um, it was, like, uh, you would take, you would just be silent for the day and I think wear all black and maybe have, like, a, a rainbow, like, ribbon mm-hmm. on your shirt. Um, and I think carry some sort of leaflet with just, like, information on why you're silent and just to protest I don't know if it was just, like, cultural homophobia or, um, I don't remember it being super pointed or specific, but I do remember on that day, like, there was some math teacher who, like, handed out his own, like, pamphlets also to the students who were being silent about, like, like, how, like, those, those homophobic, like, faux stats around, like, you know, domestic violence among, like, queer couples and, um, that's how I learned the term anal fishers because this like pamphlet, this like very religious man was handing out was saying like, um, like men who have sex with men, like, um, they, uh, get anal fissures and like contract HIV and they like have, they all die when they're 35. Just like all this like negative programming. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that was the only, I think, like, school official who was, like, antagonistic mm. in that way. Um, there was a protest of a student, a male student we knew who, like, had worn a skirt or something for the day. Mm. And I think he was, like, taken out of school for the day. So then, like, 20 of us wore, like, skirts over our clothes, which we, like, checked in the dress code was, like, technically in dress code because we were still wearing pants. Wow. Um, so I remember some teachers were very, like, I don't know, flustered and frustrating about that. But um, Live journal. <laughs> I went off on a tangent there. Sorry. Um, political, early political <laughs> protest. Everyone in skirts. I just wanted to wear skirts. <laughs> no, I joked that I like, I like cycled. I was like a fake goth and a fake emo and a fake scenester. I was just like doing different uh-huh. subcultures for like, I didn't know about the music. I just wanted the eyeliner and like the girl's jeans and like, yeah, yeah. Trying on identities just to like be able to like wear girls' clothes. <laughs> what you mentioned, Matthew Shepard, was that somebody that was like really present uh, uh, as a figure at that time for you? Not like in not like in a personal way, but um, I remember there was like I remember that like MTV had this special called like Anatomy of a Hate Crime, which mm. I think was a dramatization of the Matthew Shepard story. Um, I think Harvey Milk was maybe a more, like, someone, like, gay figure who was, like, um, murdered was a more present one. Mm-hmm. Like, the movie hadn't come out yet, but in ninth grade, our drama teacher just decided to put on this play called Execution of Justice that was, like, I think from the early 80s, um, and Wesley Snipes was actually in it as, like, this nun, like, in drag, like, a sister of perpetual indulgence. I remember that was, like, some, like, fact we saw in the script. Um, but it was all about, like, the trial of, um, Dan White, I think his name was. Hmm. Um, so I remember that being, like, sort of, like, a a murdered gay historical figure who was, like, very present. And Matthew Shepard, I think, was already, it was, like, five years before I started high school. So it's, like, I do remember it happening, and I remember, like, you know, like, I probably what he looked like and stuff but it was like a little bit more distant in the way that like Columbine already would have felt like more distant by then mm-hmm. um and this was also like like the idea of like like bullying is bad as like a coded way to say like stop calling gay kids gay didn't mm-hmm. really start till I was in college with like okay. um where did you go to college Sarah Lawrence oh. yeah there is well, wait was that guy's name Tyler Clemente the, like, Tyler. Rutgers student. Tyler who, He was, like, bullied by his roommate, I think. Mm-hmm. I might have the name wrong, but mm-hmm. his roommate, like, filmed him on a webcam, like, mm-hmm. hooking up with a guy, and then he, like, took his own life, and then that sort of turned into, I think, like, it was the impetus for the, like, It, it Gets Better. Oh, okay. Like, videos, and I think of, like, Glee when I think of this, and just, mm. like, like, Lady Gaga's, like, first, like, pivot to, like, don't ask, don't tell, it's bad. Like, mm-hmm. bring troops to VMAs everywhere you go. And, like... Yeah. Um, so I, there just wasn't really, like, it's, like, a, a bigger narrative around that when I was in high school a couple years before that. Yeah. Um, like, we were still trying to tell people to stop saying gay. Right. When they meant something sucked. <laughs> <laughs> still in, like, the, the Eminem era of, like, 
I guess, like, gay politics yeah. and thinking and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in going to Sarah Lawrence, what year? Uh, 2007. What was your major? Um, so it was, like, this, like, no-major school um, where they were, like, we have concentration rooms and stuff. And, um, but, like, basically the same thing. Um, it ended up being, like, uh, well, I went in thinking I would do theater and, like, French and then I dropped theater as soon as like all of the required stuff like as soon as I could when I got there because I was just like oh I actually like just this was more of like a social thing in high school and I'm actually a terrible actor and like everyone here is insane and I need to like find something else Um, or I was just like I don't feel the way that everyone else feels about this Mm -hmm. I just like doing the plays Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna remove myself as soon as possible um, and then started taking, like, gender studies classes and, like, mm. queer studies classes that, like, in hindsight were super, like, limited and, like, very, um, so it was, like, there was only one professor for, like, all of the, the entire LGBT studies department was one woman. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I shouldn't, like, I don't know. I actually, I don't want to dismiss it, like so immediately or something because yeah. it definitely like it's like where I was reading like James Baldwin and like where okay. I read like um like text that still stuck with me and like like what uh there's like the lavender scare mm-hmm. um which taught me about the lavender scare it's mm-hmm. like the purge in the state department in the post-war years there's George mm-hmm. Chauncey's like gay New York which mm-hmm. was like um really you know, there are those, like, books you read, and it, it, like, changes the way you think about, just, like, changes the way you think, like, afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, like, that book was all about, um, the thriving gay social world, or worlds, um, from, like, 1890 to, like, 1945, Mm -hmm. and, um, was it till the 60s? No, I think it stopped at, like, basically World War II, um, and the whole point of the book, as he says in the beginning, is, like, to disrupt the, like, Stonewall narrative that tells us that before Stonewall, we were hiding, we were isolated, we were all internal, it was, like, three eyes, it was, like, there's the narrative that says we were all isolated from each other, like, living in isolation, Mm -hmm. that we all had internalized homophobia and, like, hated ourselves and hated gay people or whatever other words we would, like, also throw in there now. Um, I think it was, like, still very, like, gay kind of focused analysis mm-hmm. um and there was like a third one that i don't remember another eye but it was mm-hmm. basically just like we all like lived in a cellar of our own internalized homophobia and like didn't connect and like yeah um that like all of history is like a progress narrative and that like it's always sort of moving upwards away from homophobia towards like acceptance or equality or something mm-hmm. and it was one of those books that explored how like um there were just, like, thriving gay social worlds mm-hmm. in, like, in Harlem, in, like, the Bowery, and like, Greenwich Village, and, like, that, um, this was, like, well before, um, I think Invisible was the other one, as in, like, Invisible, we were all invisible to, like, the straight world, mm-hmm. um, and it was, it just included a lot of, like, archival research that showed, like, um, there were, like, common stereotypes about gays, and, like, um, about, like, in the 1910s or something like that they all wear like red red ties or something or like 
that like asking for a cigarette was like meant he was cruising you or like mm. they bleached their hair tweezed their eyebrows and like just things that like could only have existed in major newspapers if like gays were known and like yeah. a part of like the social fabric however like derisive yeah their inclusion was um and and then also it, i think that book and there was also this um one by not crispin glover um <laughs> uh quentin crisp that was it i forget what the book is called but it's um his memoir of like just this like old british faggot who like i think would dye his hair purple even in like to the end of the end of days and like um it's a memoir about like his life um as like a younger kid and then up to like like in world war ii and kind of just showing how like world war ii it was like actually a great time to be gay and like uh in in the uk where he was and i saw similar like books and narratives around that in the u.s because like all the men were at war and so like women and gays just kind of like had this different kind of like access to different roles than they were used to like women could go go to work gays could just go like fuck in public a little bit more it was a bit like of like a, a twilight experience mm. and then it slipped away and then the post four years everything became very very regressive and rigid gender wise mm. again um wow so a lot of significant queer theory and and history that you were encountering yeah and there's um a friend of mine who i met maybe like four months in mm-hmm. was like really fundamental for that mm. um his name was spencer barnett and like i remember the first time i saw he was two years older than me i walked into like the the pub which was the name of the like one of the two or three places to get food on campus mm-hmm. and like walked over to where there were tables and i saw him and my friend tyler who at the time was like on week two of like a seven week lifting her dyed black hair to like bleach blonde platinum so she was like white roots like yellow for three inches <laughs> red for four inches like brown for four inches and then like sort of still black on the tips or maybe the reverse of that mm. um she got through it um i remember seeing them and i was just like oh, they look mean and then i met them and i was like i was right but like they were my friends wow. <laughs> um but he was just this like older like fag on campus who just was like here are books you should read like here's music we're listening to let's listen to gravy train and like yeah um do drugs and like drink together and yell about like um he had this gay astrology book where we would just like write the names of like different guys we like slept with or like had crushes on and just like look at our compatibilities and like um talk about karen carpenter and like um uh he was like so he was also this like sort of like outside the classroom just kind of like forming um I guess like a sense of being queer Mm. as like um just like new narratives for what that could mean and like new ways of existing Mm. in a queer way with like other people who also feel that way of sort of like recentering I guess like your perspective on yourself and Mm -hmm. people like you Mm -hmm. as opposed to I guess, like, understanding myself through, like, narratives that were not, like, written with me in mind Mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 
he, he ended up dying in like 2008 from a congenital um, heart issue. Um, so I only knew him for like, um, only knew him like, like well for about like 10 months. Um, but I was like hanging out in his, his dorm room, like almost every day for like the, the months we were in school together. Um, very like important person that I knew there. Mm. Yeah. I still, so I guess that was like 11 years ago that he died, but. I still just have thoughts now where I'm sort of like, I don't want to engage, eat. I don't, I don't know if this is, um, I mean, I feel like a lot of trans people do that or sort of looking back and you're like, wait, was that part? Like whether it's like a family member who was always depressed and it's like, maybe they were actually trans the whole time or something. And like, usually it's kind of an easy answer, but it's like trying to trace like lineage, I feel yeah. like, and trying to find some sense of like, um, like I was always building my life around this somehow. So I don't know. Um, not to speculate on the genders of, of the deceased, but Mm. he's just someone, I just, I I try and wonder like what his life would have been like right now. Cause he was just kind of like a really like brilliant and like jolting and, um, sometimes aggravating, um, but really exciting and activating person to know and I just I yeah I'm curious what that would have looked like if it had continued after like the age of 21 what comes to mind um oh I mean there's like there's like wondering if um I guess maybe this is me projecting my own like potential disappointments with my own life but just wondering like oh would he still like want to be friends with me would he think like I'm a sellout or something Mm. or like what would he think of my choices because he kind of is like frozen in time as this like like queer 21 year old who gets to live a bit more of an idealized state of like queerness and radical politics because it's not engaging with like the real world and like the realities of like work as as much I guess at least at that I mean um like I know he like he like worked on campus and stuff but it's not like um like he got got to like live in like we were both living in much more of like a theory can be practical kind of place Mm. and so I think I'm probably just like being unnecessarily like hard on myself through thinking of that but yeah, I don't know. Or maybe, I don't know, we would have, like, had a falling out and, like, not survived 2011 Facebook cancellations and call-out posts. I don't know. What was what was that <laughs> time like? Um, what is a 2011 Facebook cancellation? Uh, I... I honestly, like, kind of... I just, like, got in a relationship with another at the time. Like, both of us were gay guys, but our no longer either of us that but um I got in a relationship with someone and just kind of like dipped out and was this like gay guy who lives with his boyfriend and they have a dog and like Mm -hmm. it's this like it's a weird period to look back on because of how just like what like my desires were at that point um but like I think of in in regards to Facebook and stuff I just remember like it like a bit of a 
I think, like, on the surface level, it was, like, a whole lot to see, like, all the time, like, in groups or, like, just on walls, like, people I knew just were, like, um, or, like, tangentially knew through going out were, like, um, I guess, like, picking fights with each other and, like, sort of exposing, like, problematic behavior in a way that didn't always necessarily, like, sometimes seemed, like, warranted. Sometimes it was, like, wait, do you just, like, not like this person and like need to create like two camps or something. Um, and then also like then seeing that on Tumblr in this way that it was very cyclical where like you see someone continually call everyone else out and then get to this like zenith of power of call outs. And then suddenly it's just like called out themselves and then you never see that person again in this way that like, um, yeah. Just, like, like watching that was sort of, like, um, I remember feeling very sort of, like, this just keeps happening. It's, it's like, the same thing keeps happening over and over, and, like, Mm. but then it just keeps repeating. I don't really know what to make of this. I'm just kind of, like, I could be voyeuristic or not. I don't know. But I think on some level, it was, like, so I remember, like, sort of scaling back on Facebook and just kind of, like, focusing on, like, offline life a little bit more. But then I also do think in that there was some sort of, like, retreat from, like, community or, like, retreat from, um, like, difficulties or conflict or um, accountability or something. Mm. Um, I think I kind of just, like, I don't think that I, I think probably my worlds were smaller than they'd ever been. Like, I kind of just, like, went to work and, like, lived with my boyfriend and had, like, five to ten good friends that I'd been friends with for a while and didn't, like, enter, like, uncurated spaces or whatever for, like, um, a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Or, like, if I was at a gay bar, it was, like, I wasn't, like, meeting new people. I wasn't trying to meet new people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like that's sort of the side of it that I, like, wasn't, consciously thinking about like what Mm. the motivation was behind that so i don't know sorry like i know he's like joking about like 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 my tall facebook like everyone's Mm -hmm. just fighting each other and stuff Mm -hmm. um but i think that's sort of like an important part of that like how i was understanding it like looking at it and how i responded to it or reacted to it or something Um, yeah i think I don't know if I'd really put that into words that way, like as like a retreat from community. I think across the board, it wasn't just like Facebook specific, but just across the board, that being like a period where, whether conscious, like not consciously, but was making choices that like limited my world and like Mm -hmm. the people who I would meet and like actually like not really meeting people. And I don't know, I'm happy that that's like not, that doesn't feel like a description of like, that doesn't, like, resonate with how if I think about my day-to-day now. Mm. Like, um, like, I think about, like, the people who I've been spending a lot of time with, and a lot of them, like, I've only met in the last year or less. And that I, like, meet new people through people I know in a way that I just, like, wasn't always the case. Mm. And that, that's been, like, a really good feeling about, like, 
don't know. It's been like one of my favorite things that's come out of like transitioning. It's just mm. this like engagement with myself and also like engagement with like placing myself and contextualizing myself with other people. Yeah. Um, where we don't like necessarily like have anything in common through being trans because trans can mean anything and also nothing, but like, um, and like, I, I don't know. I definitely also know people who like aren't like communal about it and are sort of like very individualized about it. And like, um, So it's not like that's like inherent to transitioning or something, but I'm really happy that like the people who I like have tried to model myself after like sort of imbued the importance of like that sort of social knowledge sharing and just like, I don't know, making space to like be with other people like you in that way. So you're in Sarah Lawrence, you're reading a lot of books about queer theory Mm -hmm. you have this really profound friendship um what was the at what point did you start writing um like i was writing for all my classes i didn't think of myself as a writer um until like years later when i was just like well someone has to say that I'm a writer, so it should probably be me. Um, but, um, I don't know if I, I, hmm. I remember like Facebook and then later Tumblr was like, mm-hmm. I just had like a lot of fun on Facebook mm-hmm. in like a recreational kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like having fun with like posts and like, writing short condensed um like post size post length things and then um also just like playing with screenshots and like um collaging with screenshots of just like reality shows i was watching or like tv shows or movies i was watching um or like articles i was reading that like maybe i could be like oh this is like early media criticism or something but like i was mostly just it was like shit posting i guess <laughs> um oh yeah just like a lot of like america's next top model screen screen grabs just like flew through my head um and it, i i remember like so that was like really fun and i like um had this sense of wanting to i'd been like applying to like different um like internships at, at Gawker Media mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. still existed or like Gawker and like I didn't didn't get this one like both the times I applied for it but I remember the guy was like like if you like when you move back just like I don't know come back to New York or something like let me know and like um get in touch and he like switched companies to this place called Thrillist and like mm-hmm. um he still was like like I applied for an internship with him then and that's sort of like how I then got into like copywriting sorry but like to talk about like writing and stuff um so I was like writing and researching a lot and like more of like an academic kind of way of like not interviewing people but um much more just like reading text synthesizing ideas um quoting entirely from text um I don't I think maybe there was like one thing that I like one research paper in, in college where or definitely like fewer than five 
mm-hmm. one to three maybe mm-hmm. where like I remember like interviewing someone for it mm-hmm. so that was something that came later um I just didn't think of it as writing though because to me writing was like like oh my friends who do poetry or my friends who like write fiction or my friends who are like in like creative writing classes like they're writers mm-hmm. even though like I'm literally writing for all my classes it just didn't like click as writing or like that I'm like a writer I guess mm-hmm. um And then I think there was, so I guess like there was always something about like the audience response and audience relationship of something like a Facebook post. Mm-hmm. That was like a big driving thing. Mm-hmm. And I definitely still feel that now. Like I get like a total adrenaline hit when I have something that like I've been working on and I'm really like into and proud of. Um, and it finally gets published. And then I share it on Twitter and I just like can see the notifications like sort of popping up about it or seeing how it hits and like who it's resonating with and who's retweeting it, who's liking it. Mm -hmm. Um, That was also a good indicator for like, is this a story about trans people that like trans people care about? Or is this a story about trans people that like cis people care about? Um, Mm -hmm. I... So it's like maybe not super healthy or anything, but it's definitely there's like um, a kind of adrenaline high from it, a kind of like manic energy that I get out of it. Um, so that definitely is still there. I think in like a bit more of a, um, there's more like thought and praxis, or sorry, practice um, to it. And like I, um, more of an ethical standing behind it not just sort of like like people respond if you do like if you do the thing get the response the response is good um but i think like figuring out like what kind of response is how that's or that shifted now into like i still like crave response and attention but like in like hopefully a way that meets terms that i'm hoping a piece registers with people Mm. um and then i was like a, a friend who i made through one class she was um, running some kind of like online magazine through, I think the women's studies grad program, and like she um, like asked me to you know write something once a month. So I remember like writing like I think that was like the first times I was outside of a school setting, kind of like getting the chance to write like um, kind of like pop culture takes and musings and Mm -hmm. stuff um i I did like only one i was like do you remember that abc show revenge from 2011 describe it A, a girl she um her family is murdered and she assumes new identity to mm. seek revenge mm. one by one on like wow. everyone in this photo that she like, crosses their face. Wow. I watched like half of a season of it, but I loved that half season. Uh-huh. And like, I remember I like, like looking back, I was like, this is amazing. There was like this like chance to like blog about it for HuffPost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, like, so excited about it. And I wrote one post about this theory I had that, like, this character is actually, like, she seems like she sucks, but she's actually the most important character. Also, I think she's, like, 
this person's son, but it's her mm. daughter, but it's like a secret. They haven't revealed yet. Um, <laughs> and then like, I didn't do any follow-up posts, but, um, so it was the end of my like recapping of that show career. Uh-huh. But in hindsight though, it's like HuffPost wasn't paying me. They didn't start paying contributors until like 2015 or something insane like that. Um, so it really was just like, we're paying you an exposure. And I was like, awesome. I have no basis to understand how this is exploitation. Um, let me write. Like, I love just attention for the writing about the TV show. Like, I don't understand this is work yet. It's 2011 and I'm like 20, 22 or 23. Um, but so that was, I guess, sort of like, and, and then on Tumblr, like in between just like shit posts or retweeting or just commenting and stuff like, um, occasionally trying to like you know write something more out usually along like about like pop culture like a rihanna video or like about songs i was listening to mm-hmm. um and that was sort of like where a lot of the like my interest was mm-hmm. um what what do you see as being like your uh, what was your what is your pop cultural view of that time now of this, mm-hmm. this era in your life Oh, like specific to me or like... Yeah, like what do you... Universally or something. Well, what, what do you... Uh, yeah. What do you see about that time in, in the pop culture oh. like when you're, you're thinking of recounting this? Um, I think of like... It's like the height of the Stan Wars. It's like... Um, Stan Wars. With oh. <laughs> um, so it was a, maybe between like 2008 and like 2000... I'll say 13. I'll say it ended like Beyonce dropped the bomb of her self-titled album and it just she was like this conversation doesn't serve me so boom it's over i've declared it irrelevant um but it was it was um a way it so it was a period when um solo female pop stars like uh beyonce britney lady gaga rihanna um kesha um were profitable and so like music labels were like promoting them heavily i guess there was still money in the music industry so they were giving them like flashy music videos i think the youtube ecosystem was still very like um beneficial to that whole project where they like would have eras and like lots of money behind them like their music video releases were like a big deal Mm -hmm. um and not just among like teenage faggots but also Mm -hmm. like in like the culture at large um in a way that i don't think is the case anymore with like rare exception um like i don't think they're they're not really like topping the charts anymore or like um being given like the resources for like no one's being given resources for like a big music video anymore unless they have the resources themselves um but it was it was also this like kind of um this kind of narrative around like you know all of these people are in the same conversation because they are a um, beautiful woman in her like twenties or something who is a singer, even if like they're all like invested in their own music to wildly different degrees. Um, So when I say it ended in like 2013 with Beyonce's album, like to me, this, this is obviously like, this isn't what she said, but to me, like the way I understand it is almost like, um, she'd been lumped into being in conversation with like Britney and Pink and like just like people who like were doing 
vastly different things than each other and operating in different ways in like the same, I guess, milieu. And like, um, it was just kind of like a really useless conversation that like was all about like pop and pop music and pop divas, but never like interrogated what the word like pop means or like it's like racialized connotations throughout history or like it's like um, decontextualized like um, sonic roots in the black church and singers like Whitney Houston who like sort of had like upbringings in the black church and then like translated that into pop. But then it's like you get someone watches a YouTube video like a white 13 year old girl watches a YouTube video of an American Idol contestant who like grew up watching Whitney Houston videos. And it's just like this telephone game of like the roots of things and the context of things are lost until it's just this like marketable product or something. Mm. This is all a big tangent. And there are people who've said that like way smarter and way earlier than me, but like, um, I think it was like a really fun time to be like, um, young and gay but also i don't think that um it was a very like limited kind of moment for probably like the people involved and stuff what um well i think it's it's like kind of doing a one-size-fits-all narrative on each and every one of those female pop singers like Mm. you are a diva you're empowered Mm. um you are wearing a leotard and you are um, empowered in your sexuality, but also still not allowed to call yourself a feminist or have like, because that means you hate men still in like 2009, 2010. Um, You still have to do like these crazy like press tours and just be a very public consumable figure this is like sort of before Instagram and before like a lot of like celebrities retreated from, um, I guess the traditional press model, mm-hmm. um, where they're kind of just like going good morning America to like Dateline to interviews with everyone and every, anyone who will interview them and, um, doing promo 24 seven for every single thing they do. And, um, I don't know, maybe people got a high from it mm. in, like, a gigantic universal scale of, like, me getting a high from a tweet promoting an article getting retweets, but mm. um, I'm sure it was also, like, could potentially, like, monstrous place to be amidst all that success. Like, Amy Winehouse or someone who... Mm. Um, or Whitney Houston, who's, like, um, that kind of attention, like, kind of destroyed them. Mm. Or, like, lock them in a place where they can destroy themselves. So do you think that um, the fun for gay fans <laughs> ended after that after that time? Um, I think it's just, like, it, it's maybe, like, an age-based thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, cause then I look on Twitter now, and it's, like, it's, it's, there's still the same, like, um, very enthusiastic, Faggy Stan armies who were like Dua Lipa, no, like um, Ava Max or uh, oh no, they're like all into K-pop now too. Um, mm. Those are also like yeah, the K-pop groups like BTS. You don't want to like I I don't have any thoughts on BTS period, but like thank God because I think that 
saying anything about BTS that the BTS army wouldn't like would be a death sentence <laughs> on the internet. Um, I, I still, they're, they're all still there. I think it's maybe just like reduced itself back to just the same core, like super fans who would have been doing this in any era. Yeah. And maybe there's something about like the age too. I think a lot of like teenagers are always invested in this because they maybe have like less time that they're spending on like, they maybe have less, fewer responsibilities in the world, so they have lots of time to, like, be a pro bono defender of a celebrity they'll never meet. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe I just stopped being as interested mm. in that sort of, like... I was never, like, like harassing people under, like, an avatar with, like, like Britney Spears' face on it or something. I just, like, I used to find, like, the whole, I don't know. I think, like... Um, I used to find it interesting and funny and, like, fun as, like, a sort of, like, just, like, too old to actually, like, be in it kind of observer. And, like, when I was younger, was, like, always really into, like, pop music and, like, watching music videos. And, like, still remember seeing, like, a Paula Abdul video and, like, this Greatest Hits CD compilation flash mm. across the TV in 95. And mm. just, like, was, like, I don't know what this is, but Paula Abdul straight up, Paula Abdul straight up, like, just, like, reminding myself of this phrase so I didn't forget it. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, when I went to a jukebox at, like, a restaurant with one, I could, like, remember and put it on or something. Um, I think a lot of that was, like, um, this, like, projected, displaced, like, femininity. Mm. Um, like, I don't find myself as moved by, like, pop star aesthetics in the way that I, like, once did. Mm. Um, of just sort of, like, watching, like, an endless like catalog of music videos where like a like beautiful very feminine woman is like singing or miming singing to a song or something like I, I it's it used to like captivate me in a way that it like doesn't anymore I guess so I feel like there was some sort of like using it as like a like you can like I'll watch you do this or something I think there was some some element of that Like how, like, I don't know, like how, like, a cross-dresser who's married to a woman might, like, like, be controlling of his wife or something. Ooh, whoa. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> like, controlling of his wife and, like, sort of, like, wear this, wear that, because, like, she's his avatar for womanhood or something. There's maybe an element of that with, yeah. like, um, the, like, gay pop star fan relationship sometimes. Mm-hmm. Of, like, worshipping, like, this, like, yeah, avatar for your own womanhood or femininity that you mm. can't or don't feel like you can access or don't even know that you want to access mm. in your own life. Mm. Yeah. Which might also just be, like, irregular old misogyny. I don't know. Yeah. Um... Also, I worked at MTV and, like, blogged about pop music and, like, pop music celebrities for, like, a year and a half. And, like, I definitely, like, sort of lost my ability to, like, like, and, like, the interest in, like, discovering new pop music in the same way. Mm, why? Um, well, I remember on Tumblr, I, like, learned about new music all the time going into that job, like, which I started in 2013. And, like, 
so it's like Tumblr is like where I learned about like like Nikki Blanco and Leaf and like Casey Keller and like Grimes years before she like um, married Elon Musk or, or or started dating him for his like rocket ship he's gonna build one day, and um, I just like learning about all these like um, interesting musicians who. Um, like there was like a proactive element there was kind of like a, there was a social element to it too because it's like I'm learning about these songs from someone else who I follow or someone who I follow's reblog of someone else who I don't follow like there's like um, a social element to that too and just like an interest in it and like me actually like wanting to seek out new music and just like new things to listen to new sounds mm. things I haven't heard before um and then it being my day-to-day job um especially somewhere like as institutional as MTV um just like killed a lot of that interest so mm-hmm. like I had to like part of it was because I um the music I did listen to had to be, um, um, I guess a lot of it was chosen for me by like the beat that I was on, which was like pop music and then also like up and coming artists, but up and coming in the sense of like, usually like the A&R team from like um, a record label is like, hey MTV, we're coming in with a new artist. Here's an up and coming artist for you to listen to. They're going to play three songs in this fluorescent lit like lounge. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's no actual there's there was very little room for like um you as the blogger to have any say in like who deserves attention or not mm-hmm. um like i did manage to do that a few times but it was like usually not possible it was a lot of like assigned like top down or like um we cover everything adam lambert does because like his fans are a bunch of really like fanatical like suburban moms and they click on everything and they share everything so you always cover him you always cover Miley Cyrus you always cover Lady Gaga you always cover Britney Spears you always cover Rihanna you always cover like there was like a list of people be like yeah Selena Gomez posted an Instagram post that's a blog right 200 words about whatever the fuck she just posted Mm -hmm. um because it was like sort of trying to manipulate that like fan interaction for um or I guess like exploit or leverage it for the page views that automatically blogging about someone mm-hmm. would bring to the site i guess mm-hmm. um so there was like a, a disengagement with from like having a point of view on the process there was like not really a lot of encouragement to like um i guess bring new sounds to the table or like maybe unknown artists who didn't have a lot of clout or like a record behind them mm-hmm. um a record in like both senses of the word mm-hmm. and um I think also just, um, so like then also to be good at my job, I would like, you know, be listening to things that I knew I could write about or I should be writing about or things I should be familiar with. And then I think also when something becomes your job, it like any of the like magic or fun that was, Mm -hmm. or a lot of the magic or fun that were in it kind of get sucked out. Um, so if I'm like listening or thinking about music, all day even if it's not like music that I would always like 100% want to listen to outside of work like the second I get home it's like I kind of almost I don't know 
I don't want to then spend all night like doing like an unpaid version of what I was doing at work all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess that's sort of like those are all the different ways that yeah. I stopped being as interested in these like. I mean, I still think Paula Abdul. I like appreciate her space and the space she takes up in the in the canon of music, but. Um, and just like I'm not as like captivated or fascinated by them in the same way. And that's inflected by you, your theory around your gender. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's it's still like not fully crystallized, I think. Mm-hmm. I just think about it sometimes. Yeah. And those thoughts keep coming up. And so I figure yeah. there must be some validity to the yeah. idea that like um, pop stars were just this avatar for like Mm. womanhood or femininity or girlhood Mm. um that was also kind of taboo and Mm -hmm. um still something to listen to in private and make fun of publicly like i had an older brother who listened to like marilyn manson and limp biscuit and like ozzy osbourne and so like um i couldn't like like it was still like oh this is embarrassing for me to like that Mm. or something and i have to like make fun of them publicly but then go on like Kazaa or LimeWire and then like download a bunch of music videos by them. So is the way that you're you in saying that it hasn't fully this this your idea of how your gender formed or hasn't fully crystallized yet? What has where what has been the thinking and shift in thinking to in this direction or who has been there to like shift your your view on? Or this argument for pop stars and avatars? Um, I would say I see a lot of parallels with, like, um, so, like, I don't have, like, the sissy cross-dresser sort of pre-transition, like, Mm -hmm. background to it. Mm -hmm. um, Or, like, like a a nightlife drag, like, um, like, through clothing and makeup and like kind of queer nightlife settings, like mm-hmm. doing like, like gender play or like drag or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, which I think of as like two sort of ways that two different kinds of non-sentient trans women might engage in trans femininity before mm-hmm. like everything kind of clicks. Mm-hmm. Not that like, obviously you can be a trans woman and a drag queen. You can be a trans woman and a cross dress. Like mm-hmm. you can be anything you want to be. Um, but um, I think it's, like, sometimes almost, like, this gateway or it's, like, a more socially sanctioned way of exploring this, like, thing that you haven't even fully realized. Um, but since I don't sort of have... So it's, like, like reading, um, like, Tori Peters. She has this um, uh, novella called The Masker that is about um, this character who's, like... And also this other one, um, Glamour Boutique, that came out um, a couple years after that one. Um that are, like, both have characters who are um, sissies or cross-dressers um, who, uh, like, cross-dress in this very specific kind of, like, Lolita petticoat, like, pink floofy dress, um, curly, like, very, like, excuse me, um, little girl kind of aesthetic, um, and are meeting up with, like, men on, on Craigslist and, like, who are either also into that or into like fucking sissies and um how it's sort of this like erotic 
gateway for these characters into eventually like sort of realizing either they're trans women or debating like with one of the characters in the masker trying to like has this central conflict of like um I'm meeting all these trans this like crossdresser trans women transvestite and plus like maskers like convention in Las Vegas and she meets like She's not really fully out yet in her regular life, but she's sort of maybe considering it. She, like, spends time with the trans women there, and there's a lot of, like, internalized trans misogyny in the way she, like, describes the, the, the trans women characters, talking about, like, evidence of their surgeries and just, like, talking about, like, like trans, like, women who've had, like, transsexual surgeries, period. Mm-hmm. Because she's in this headspace where it's, like, she's kind of, like, choosing between, like, well, the reality of being a trans woman isn't that sexy, compared to, like, the erotic sort of limited, like, stunted space of, like, staying in this, like, total just, like, fetish roleplay space. Um, anyway, yeah, that's a great book about this. But this, so it's, like, like hearing about that and then also hearing from other trans women about just sort of, like, what their gateways into this was. Or even, like, having friends who, like, were drag queens and then, like, um either had a hard pivot when they came out and just were like, I'm not a drag queen anymore. I'm a trans woman. Maybe still worked in nightlife, but we're like, um, it's like drag was like their Mm -hmm. steps into it. Um, I guess maybe I've just been like curious, like, okay, well I had to have had like some sort of gateway into this or like some like safe zone in that way. Um, or like some analog to that, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have those. So, I think I was, I've been trying to like pinpoint like what was my socially sanctioned way of like feeling womanly or feminine or something. Um, and I spent a lot of time like watching movies or like listening to music, watching music videos. Um, oftentimes with like, I don't know, just like beautiful women in them in a non like sexualizing way. Mm-hmm. Cause I like, like, not like I was ever sort of like, I'm like, Oh, I'm attracted to her or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that seems like a plausible theory to me that that was maybe like mm-hmm. sort of some like safe zone to yeah. like engage with all that or feel like mm-hmm. indirectly embodied or something. Yeah. So vastly different than earlier narratives, um, in like a, in the time that you were talking about where Lady Gaga is a, a prominent figure and it's a, a narrative of born this way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The like born this way moment. That was a moment. <laughs> I like, I really think we need to like, I don't know. I'm, I'm so curious about what kind of like, um, how like that, Obama first term, like, glee, Lady Gaga born this way, it gets better, don't bully gay kids, like, moment is gonna be, like, written about soon. I feel like it hasn't really been, like, like, we're, like, the general sentiment uh, about, like, you know, a Trump presidency is so, like, negative that, like, a lot of people, like, aren't casting the critical eye and making the connections, like, I guess preceding that and stuff and so I feel like I, I I don't know I feel like there's like so so much so much there in like even a period of like like gay progress or something mm. to really look at and almost like have fun with and play mm. with and mm. 
So it was really, really fucking weird. So on the note of sissies, you have um, very publicly did a book criticism on 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 um, on a, a book, I believe. Sorry, I didn't. Title. I didn't know where that was going. I was like, "What did I do?" Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you very publicly. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> you 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 wrote a book criticism. Yeah, on... of um a memoir by Jacob Tobiah called Sissy. Mm. Um, what was, yeah, what was the, why? Oh, um, so my interest in doing it, um, so I feel like it, it can read like a bunch of different ways. Um, so to explain like the, Review, it, it's sort of like part book review of this book that, to get it out of the way, I didn't like the book. I didn't think it was a good book. Um, and then I approached the review as like, it, it's also sort of an essay on the trans memoir and kind of like putting it in context in a canon that it belongs to and like sort of um, the memoirs that um, the like, I guess, legacy it like is published out of. Um, and I chose to frame it that way because in reading the book, um, it didn't seem to me like the author had actually done that reading or it seemed to be as aware of like the decades or even like over a century of like trans memoir writing that are like trans memoir um, and like first person literature that precedes them in their work. Um, so it was a bit of, I mean, I guess that's like kind of shady and just sort of like, well, you didn't do the reading, so I'm going to do the reading to do the reading. And like, but like, I, I also, I really wanted to make sure that it wasn't like, um, personal. Cause I mean, like, first of all, I don't, I also don't know Jacob. Um, um, so in writing it, it was like really important for me, um, to, like, I really didn't want the review to read as personal. I didn't want it to um, read as a call-out in the way that I think, like, any trans-on-trans -trans criticism is um, often understood immediately as a call-out. Or any sort of in-group criticism. I think the nuances of criticism are easily lost, and it feels sort of like like, oh God, I need to immediately pick a side. Only one person is correct. Only one person is right. They're fighting. This is like um, a proxy battle for my own, like um, my own politics and my own ethics or something. And I just, I didn't, um, I wanted to create the kind of like trans on trans literary criticism that I just want to exist in the world mm -hmm. um, that already like precedes that review too. Um, but that I would just like to see more of, um, and then also just challenge myself to critique the content of what someone has written without like falling into, you know, it's, it would be easier to do like ad hominem personal attacks on this person I don't know, mm -hmm. but who I'm like, can easily like reduce down to like certain critiques that seem to make sense if I'm only looking at their Instagram so I don't have the full picture of them. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I thought the book itself was not good and there was plenty that's plenty to rest a bad review on mm-hmm. um I think mostly I mean like that that's a that's a piece that um I've I really like the response to it um even oh, it was a couple of days ago someone had said something about like I just don't remember who it was Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but someone who was trans had said that, like, oh, oh, I remember who it was. It was, like, a, a writer who I know um, had said something about, like, oh, this other person who I, like, saw, like, by the way, said something, like, um, you know, passed along, basically, like, um, positive words someone had had about that piece or that it was good, um, which made me feel good because it's, it's a lot of, like, trans people are passing along like their response to it to me um so it it makes me feel like like that tells me that i like maybe accomplished what i set out to do with this Mm -hmm. that it's like being read by people that it's being read by the people i want it to be read by first and foremost um and that also it's like moving them to the point that they feel the need to like tell me like oh that was great because like it's actually, I, I feel like it's more common that, like, if you like something, like, just, I don't, I don't usually, like, I hear a lot more, um, I don't know, like, I, I write things all the time and usually don't hear anything about it, so, like, if someone's, like, going out of their way to get, like, a simple compliment, I'm like, oh, cool, this is, like, a good sign about, about that, um, And it seemed like it kind of hit a bit of a cathartic release for some readers, which I also um, appreciated. Like, just frustration with, like, a specific kind of trans success that, like, operates entirely in, like, um, cis terms. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't mean mean Jacob, but I just mean, like, say, a memoir like Sissy to me is a piece of transcultural production for actually how am I phrasing that it's either transcultural production for a cis consumer or cis cultural production on transgender themes Mm. um I don't know which side of that I would fall on actually but either way it's it's um it's a it in reading the book it read like something that was like about me but not for me and I wanted to explore like why like what what in the book um fails to actually like make it resonant for someone who you would think would be a a, a target reader for this book about trans lives mm-hmm. um it was also just like fun I don't know I felt like um It was just like kind of fun to be cunty and like, um, but in like, uh, not just for its own sake, I guess. Um, and to like also explore a new kind of style, which like I, I haven't haven't really done that many book reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to figure like, okay, what do I have to do? Like, okay, here's like things I should read first. Here are things I should reference. Here's 
uh, it was like also like giving myself an excuse to read like um, parts of like Caroline Cossey's memoir or like um, like to learn more about like Lily Elba or something or um, like the research part of it was really fun too and to feel like I walked away with like knowing like okay like actually can understand how to place like a creative work in like a conversation it belongs in um so I'm not just sort of like sitting in my computer like spewing out a take based on like my first like knee-jerk reaction mm. um that review would have just been like cunty for cunty saying <laughs> um this one was more measured I think and also like I I, I hope that it, when anyone reads it um they come away understanding that like I would love it if, like, I would love it if Jacob's next book was great. Mm. I think everyone is capable of writing a great book. Mm -hmm. But, like, if the book's not good, I don't think that we should have any sort of, like, sense of being beholden to defending anything just because a trans person was involved. I um, see. Yeah. Although I do think that, like, in, like, intra-community critique is really difficult to do in, like, mixed company. Why? Um, or at least I struggle with it, um, because I have to think about, like, um, I do think about, like, the precarity of someone's position who maybe has a very highly visible platform, um, and, um, the way that critique, like, say, if I... I really like Trace Lissette a lot. So I'm using her as an example purely because I don't feel this way. But I'm like, if like, say like Trace Lissette, um, I don't know, like made an Instagram post holding an assault rifle with like Pete Buttigieg and was like Pete Fleet baby or something like that. I don't know. Just like something like super stupid and frustrating for so many reasons. And, like, I, like, wrote, like, some, like, op-ed, like, why Trace Lissette is bad now or something for Vice.com. Um, the readership of that is, like, mostly cis people. Like, the people editing it are mostly cis people. Um, it's not, like, necessarily the best. Like, I would feel, like, kind of fraught about necessarily writing that for them because... Um, so many people reading this like actually don't know anything about her they don't know her history they don't know like anything else she's done maybe the first thing they'll see is like um this thing that i'm now like bringing to everyone's attention that she did wrong and if the goal if the goal of why i'm doing that is just to make sure that everyone knows that she did this wrong thing then like that's maybe the most appropriate venue but like if the goal is like can you actually like am i invested or interested in like you understanding why this is not great or something i could probably dm her or something who knows if she would see it but like there's a different way to go about it um i think there's also just a way that like um launching an intro community critique within within like a professionalized like um news platform kind of space i think it's different if it's like on like social media mm -hmm. where everyone's it's like the power yeah. differentials mm -hmm. the platforms and everything and like if, like, I have an elevated platform through being paid money by a media company um, to write for them, 
and if I'm using that to maybe like call out like maybe even not even like tra- like as an example Trace Lizette but like for something she never did just to clarify she never did that but like just someone who I know in my like communities who's bothering me and I'm just like that was problematic I'm gonna write a blog post for vice.com about why like this thing that you did at a party last week was fucked up and use your name like that's that would be like a deeply fucked up way to um uh engage in like criticism on my part Mm -hmm. um it would just like the power differentials are like totally the power difference is like totally out of whack um like i basically have the force of a media company behind me to critique someone who does not have any platform Mm -hmm. um and then on top of that in front of an audience of mostly cis people who don't know this person who like are coming at it with their own internalized trans misogyny that maybe would like lead them to be predisposed to want to like see any of us as like bad people because it confirms like oh right thank god i don't have to give this person sympathy i knew it they were bad mm-hmm. like um so i think that is something i mean that's all that is something i like uh, had to work through a lot with um the jacob debaya review um and also what like motivated me to be really careful about it being about like as clear as I could make it that it's about the book and not about the person um because I don't know I feel like there has to be some kind of like productive constructive point to say like criticism like that not across the board. I think if someone has like really unethical behavior, they deserve like an appropriate like um, criticism at an appropriate level or like power level that they're operating on. Um, like I'm not trying to like turn it to someone right now who's like um, thinks cancel culture is bad and like like you should just be nice to everyone. Like no, I think that like critique and calling out um, are both constructive. Uh, methods of addressing conflict Um, but when I'm getting paid by a cis media company by a straight media company um, to potentially engage in like addressing conflict in that way or like critiquing something or a body of work by some someone or a piece of work by someone um, it's tricky I don't know yeah And making sure, like, am I doing this because my straight bosses love a queer cat fight? Or am I doing this because, like, I have something to say about this piece of work or about this thing that happened in the news that will bring some sort of, like, something constructive can come out of this being written about by me beyond just, like, improving ad sales numbers for the company I work for. What type of, uh, to put it in your words, trans on trans criticism are you are you hoping to see? Well, I guess first I would like to see more 
books and movies and TV shows and and albums, like by trans creative people, um, receive the resources in order to exist on the same sort of like distribution levels as like the kind of work that does get mainstream like press and criticism. Um, and then if that's there, I would like to see like um, the work engaged with by um, critics from all backgrounds, but um, also engaged with by trans critics and trans journalists and trans writers um, who might be more adept at contextualizing some of the work um, in the context that they were written or recorded or um, filmed out of. Um, I would like to see trans on trans criticism that isn't afraid to buck up against um, like the visibility focused politics that we've had for sort of um, defining conversations around trans media for, for maybe the past like 10 years or so, which makes sense. And I understand like its utility and also like, I like reading books about trans women by trans women. Like I, I'm not like, I too can live for visibility. Like, um, but I, I think there's like limits to it and it also can hold us back in terms of um, taking work about us as seriously as it deserves to be taken. And if, if you're um, like celebrating bad art is also not good for the person making it um, because they'll never actually grow if they're constantly being told it was great. Um, when there maybe are things that they could work on or reconsider or um, I think any, anyone, I appreciate criticism on my work because um, that's like being challenged is like how I've been forced to get better on my end. Um, So I don't. I, I just think that criticism is is um, it can be like a very productive um, exercise and also an exercise, a loving exercise, a caring exercise, um, and one that anyone who makes something should hope to receive in the world because it means that people are actually taking your work seriously. And not just like patting you on the back because of who you happen to be, I guess. What is the risk if there isn't any trans criticism? Um, that bad trans art will be treated like it's good. Um, that uh, boring trans art will be treated like it's interesting, that um, unoriginal or unimaginative trans art will be um, treated like it's revealing or revelatory um, because the 
critic conceptualizing it or thinking about it, um, this is critic won't understand what's actually fascinating or what's been done or, um, if everything is new to that critic, um, because they don't have like either lived or communal lived experience or communal knowledge or like aren't familiarized with like the canon that that work was like made out of, um, they could be prone to calling something the most important, the most significant, the most uh, incredible piece of work about trans experience when it's not. Um, I guess also the flip side of all those like kind of negative statements is also true then like, um, good trans art will be um, unnoticed, um, good trans art won't receive engagement, artists who are producing interesting or provocative work um, won't receive the kind of engagement that would spur their further development, they won't receive the kind of attention that could lead to resources to mm -hmm. like um, help them continue developing their work. Um, possibly leading them to stop making work. Um, there's, there's this line in, um, uh, well, it's not out yet, but, um, uh, my friend Tori's book that is coming out next year, um, I think she'd be fine with this, but there's like, uh, yeah, I think she'd be fine. There's this line in it about how, um, every, uh, the characters are trans women in Brooklyn. There's some line about how like every, sorry, wait, can we actually cut that? And can I rephrase that? Cause actually it's, it's like, I didn't like ask her permission to like do that. And I don't want to like. I feel like she'd be fine with it, but I also am like, I don't know if I should actually be like referencing a line from something that isn't published yet. Mm. Um, should I just like sort of like pick back up kind of or? Um, like at, at least like here in Brooklyn, there's like so many trans women just like making things and like, there's like go go grams like making beautiful couture and has been for years there's like artists like um like star marasu out in the bay area slash sometimes here who's like making music and like drum loop and um like chrissy bell like all making music um it seems like there are more trans models than there are not trans models sometimes like there's so many like writers and artists just making like Nash Glenn, incredible figure painter who lives here. Um, there are so many of us making like incredible work that isn't always given the due or attention it deserves. And um, I don't think it like has to be this way, but I think that we're the only ones who like notice the work 
oftentimes or like have the ability to like either put it into existing conversations around art and, and music and film and TV and um, writing, but also like create conversations centering this work by trans feminine artists. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's what's lost too in not having trans on trans criticism um, supported and um, resourced. So we're about out of time. Okay. Is there anything that you want to say that you feel that you didn't have an opportunity to say? I guess thinking about like the Trans Oral History Project, um, excuse me um i think about just like how important and fundamental um like the social sharing of information was when i first started transitioning and has sort of continued like you know from hearing from a friend like here's who you can go see for laser here's like the trans woman who does electrolysis um and then also just like here's here's like what makeup is and like here's like um and just like the things they don't tell you which is just like implicitly like oh here's like ways of dressing or here's ways of being in the world or here's ways of living and just like models that you can draw from um i think this is a really important project because so much of even even as we have like I guess like a bigger communal platform in the world. So much of our our just like ways of being is passed on orally and just in a sort of one on one, um, interpersonal kind of way. Um, so I'm I'm really happy this record of so many records that the project has done exist. <laughs>